The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, starting at verse 8, you will find these words. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. Amen. This afternoon, we are going to continue in our series of lessons on Jesus making mind and ministry. And today, our lesson will deal with one crying out from the wilderness, part two. One crying out from the wilderness. Part two. Jesus, me
to look at our text, we see in verses 8 and 9 that blood is not thicker than water with God. That blood is not thicker than water with God. When we begin to look at verses 8 and 9, we see that John the Baptist begins to preach. Because the New Testament unveiling of Jesus Christ comes out with prophetic, foretelling preaching from the man they call John the Baptist. The Bible lets us know he is one who comes like Elijah. He came rough and tough wearing a garment of camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. Letting us know he didn't come for any comforts or to sit in the seat of Moses, but he came for one purpose and one purpose only, to set the stage for our Messiah, Jesus Christ. But as he sets the stage, I say to you that our series of lessons is dealing with Jesus Christ, the making, the mind, and the ministry. Right now, we are making the transition from the making into the mind. Because, because John is not preaching of his own, but he is preaching of what God is giving him to preach. And what he is preaching is about the mind of God. We call it the logos of God. John, the apostle John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You could substitute the word logos, which is the mind, the expression of God. In the beginning was the logos of God and the logos was with God and the logos was God. So now we see this is a prophetic word coming from John the Baptist. It is a thus saith the Lord. So when we look at this text, he says, right out the gate, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In the context of those words, we see that he has spotted the religious leaders of his time, the Jews, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, on their way to him. And he's looked at them and called them a brood of vipers. He's called them a, 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 a layer of snakes. And he asked them the rhetorical question, who warned you of the coming judgment? Who, who warned you that the wrath was to come? And the answer was nobody warned them because they're not listening in the first place. These are the ones whom the apostle Paul refers to in one manner out of Romans. It said they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
They didn't really want to hear the truth. And that's not why they were on their way. But they heard that God was reaping. They heard that people were being baptized. People were being saved. So they came just to look and see what was going on and to determine whether or not that something could be happening there to mess up their plan. Because their plans was to control the people. They weren't con concerned about their salvation. They were just concerned about getting all they could out of the people for their own gain. So now, John comes sharply and says, therefore, seeing these snakes, you don't want to, so everybody that's around listening, you don't want to be like them. You, you don't want to look like you religious. You don't want to walk around with the religious terms. You want to want to pray so that people can hear you and say how good you pray. You want to be one whose heart is right with God. So that's what he says when he said to be worthy of repentance. Because see, when your heart is not right, you can look like a fruit bearing tree, but you never bear any fruit. Jesus said that about a fig tree one time. He looked at that tree and he saw that it had not bear fruit. It was green. It looked like it was a good fig tree, but a fig tree is only good as the fruit that it bears. So Jesus condemned that fig tree as an object lesson of what would happen to those who tried to play church. Because that's all the Sadducees and Pharisees were doing. They were playing church. They wanted to go into the temple, but they never let the temple inside of them. And so in a contemporary context, that is a warning to us because he is speaking to the Jewish people. He is speaking to the nation of Israel. Now you take that application and bring it to the church. That, that we need to not only come to the church, we need to let the church inside of us. Amen. So as we look at this text, and he says, and do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, now realize that John the Baptist is baptizing because he's on his job. He's on his mission and he's serious about it. He's not letting encumbrances of the world get in his way. He's about baptism because that's why he was sent. And so imagine him at the, at the bank of the Jordan and, and stones are on the side, on the, on the banks, there are stones all around. And so he says to these religious leaders, these players of church, if you will, he says to them, he said in for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. He's saying, you need to get your thinking right. For the benefit of the brood of vipers and those who are listening, don't think because you have a bloodline that has those in it who are in the hall of faith that by default, now you're going to enter in as well. You can't enter in on grandmama's coattail. You got to have a relationship with him yourself. 
There is a personal relationship that each one of us has to have with Christ. And we can't depend on what grandmama did, what granddaddy did, what our ancestors before them, what mama them did. I know they've been, granddaddy was on the deacon board for 30 years. I know that, but what about you? Where is your place in the kingdom of God? He may have his business fixed, but you got to get yours fixed yourself. And I know in today's contemporary context, we don't talk about that as much as we used to. But we still act like it. We still act like somehow because mama was faithful to God or daddy was faithful to God and we're there with them, we get an exempt ticket in the heaven. But that's not going to work. You have to have a heart of repentance yourself. You have to have fruits that you bear. Because mama's tree bear good fruits, what about your own? And that's what he's saying. We need to examine ourselves and see whether or not we're bearing good fruit. Amen. Now, looking at this text, verse 10. You know what? Let me look at something else. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's look here in verse 9. He says, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. John was saying to those religious leaders of Jerusalem, God is doing a new thing. He's doing something now that you really don't understand. He's saying to them, you think that everything is exclusive and to you and you only, you Jerusalem leaders, you Jewish nation, you bloodline of Abraham, but God is doing something new. And he's saying that he can look at these stones that have no relationship, not even human. And God, because he's sovereign, he can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. He could raise them stones up and make them children of Abraham. And so he's saying that as an object lesson, as, a, as saying that these meager stones that God can raise them up. So he's saying you don't have no exemption, leaders of Israel. You don't have an exemption because God is calling folk that ain't even in the bloodline. And so for the contemporary church, we have to be careful of how exclusive we try to become. How we try to see those who just don't quite look like us. And we're not comfortable with them, so we kind of exclude them. You know, we don't really talk to them like we should. We don't really bring them close to us like we should because they really don't fit like us. But this text is allowing us to see it doesn't matter what they look like. What we think God's children ought to look like. God is calling them even those that don't look nothing like anybody who's church. And so he's saying open your eyes to who God is. Because when we see God, we can see everybody else. It's only when we get a clear view of God can we look at our neighbor and see their potential in Jesus Christ. And then we can get happy about bringing them inclusively into our folds and allowing God to do in them what he wants to do. 
because you don't know what he's doing with folks that don't look like you. God could be doing a new thing that you were not incapable of doing that he's going to do through them, but you are hindering the work because you're looking at the outside instead of looking at the potential of the inside of the person. Amen. So now we begin to transition here to verse 10. The crisis of church membership, verse 10. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, let's look at that text. Even now. The Greek term for judgment is spelled K-R-I-S-I-S. It's where we get the English word crisis. And there is a crisis in church membership. God has a proverbial, a metaphorical axe at the root of the tree. At the root of all trees, because the idea is here is there is a forest with many trees. And that those who are not of him will be cut down. And the axe is already laid at the tree. See, that's the crisis. That's the urgency here is that God is already in the process. And see, what happens with the contemporary church, the New Testament church, is we get lulled into a false sense of security. Because, see, God is not opening up the earth like he did in the Old Testament and swallowing up 100 or 200 people at a time like he did with Korah and the followers of them. He's not burning up folks at the altar like he did Aaron's sons. He's not killing and taking out folk like he did Eli's son. See, he's not doing it like that anymore. But we get confused with he's giving us exemption versus he's being long-suffering. Only thing that's happening in the New Testament dispensation is that God is holding back his wrath he, because he is forbearing or long-suffering. But his wrath is still to come. But we get, we get lulled into a false sense of security. I mean, Satan is setting up all these luxuries for us to think that, you know what, it's okay if we dibble and dabble. And, you know, it's okay if we play part church and then part of the world. Because, I mean, nothing's really happening. People are not all that afraid of God's judgment anymore. I mean, even if you look at TV shows, you, you go back and you look at TV shows like, let's say, uh, 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 the Untouchables. There were episodes where a man was dying on his bed and, and the thing he was concerned about was that he was on his way to hell. He was concerned whether or not he had got his business fixed. He had killed a lot of folks and he was concerned now that he was dying that he was on his way to hell. When is the last time you've seen a show in this current time that even has any allusion to that? Because folk ain't scared. Folk is not concerned about judgment no more. But God changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be alert 
and wake up to the fact that God's judgment is pending. And he is laying the axe at the bottom of the trees right now. Can you see the crisis? Because I want to say, God bless, I really want to say that everybody's in the house is saved. I, I, I want to I say everybody's going to heaven and everything is going to be all right. But if I was to say that, I would be foolish, wouldn't I? All over the scriptures, it continues to tell us how five were foolish and five were wise. And some came back to Jesus and others went on their way. And there's a constant explanation that in the midst of the wheat, there is chaff. So the urgency here is that to make sure your business is fixed. To make sure that you have gotten your relationship right with Jesus. Make sure that you are bearing good fruit. Make sure that the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5 is in your life. Making sure that you got a compassion for people and a passion for God. Those things, because the acts is at the root of the tree. Now, if we look at this text, we see also that every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This whole false sense of security issue messes with us because we live in time. See, we go through the annals of time. It's time segments. But forget that God lives outside of time. God sees everything at once. And so the prophet, preacher, John, can say things as if they're happening right now because he's getting prophetic word from the Lord. And the real fact of the matter is God is making decisions right now, but the wrath is to come in the deferment from his long suffering. But you don't want to be the ones where he's cutting them down. And so during the long-suffering time of God is the time which he has given us all to get right with him. To repent, which means to turn from our wicked ways and to turn back to God and become a follower of Christ so that God will live in the inside of us because we are the branches, he is the vine, and that we cannot bear good fruit unless we are dependent upon him. So we got to get Jesus on the inside to do for us what we cannot do on the outside. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So now as we continue in our text, we look down here in this text and we see something very powerful in verse 11. Basically what it takes to come out as pure gold. What it takes to come out as pure gold. In prophetic terms, John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am now worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's none like John the Baptist. Jesus himself said, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And he's greater because he's lesser. 
Remember, we talked about how the kingdom of God is 180 degrees opposite of the world. The world says, lift myself up. The world says, put myself in front. The world says, step on whoever I can so I can get on top. But the kingdom of God says, look at whatever opportunity I can to get under somebody else. And that whole term is called humility. John the Baptist, great a preacher as he is, he's humble. He says there's one coming that's mightier than him, that he's not even worthy to carry his sandals. Now, for us, we would like, yes, a good servant who would carry the master's sandals. But John is so humble that he says, uh-uh, I don't have no business even fooling with his sandals. His sandals are so holy, I don't even, I shouldn't even be touching them. Now, that's humility. Not just to carry them, but hey, I shouldn't be touching them at all. But that's how we ought to be. We ought to see ourselves as less so that God in due time will exalt us as more. So we got to flip this thing. On earth we be less so that in heaven we be more. That we be last on earth, that we be first in heaven. And what place, as I asked before, is better to be? Is it to be first here in this temporary land, that life is short and full of trouble, or to be first in the kingdom of heaven, which is everlasting? So I think, based on this text, it's prudent to start looking at how we can become last. So that God can make us what? First. Amen. Now, 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 back to this idea of what it takes to come out as pure gold. Look at the text. After John says what he says about himself and about Jesus, he says his baptism is going to be different. The baptism that John baptized with was an effective baptism. Don't get me wrong, and you can see it in the text. People were being baptized amongst this crisis, and God was pleased with what John was doing. But there's a new thing coming onto the plate. And John was the forerunner for it. And the new one was Jesus Christ and his new baptism. Which the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. What it takes to come out pure gold. If there's somebody here who really wants to be like Christ. I'm talking to me and talking to us. If we really want to be like Christ. There's a baptism we got to go through. There's a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire. I like it that those two are together. Because if he had just said fire, I think we'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Because the blessing here is that it's a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire. God sent the Holy Ghost to us to be the comforter. To be the one to come alongside and to strengthen us and to empower us. The Bible says that when the Holy Ghost comes, he will give us power. Power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. As the Holy Ghost spreads through those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, he begins to empower those inside of the Jerusalem walls and then outside and then all the way out to the Gentiles, you and me. And that's good news because he's on the inside, working on the outside. He, he's there to keep us. He's there to come alongside and comfort us. He's allowed to come alongside and help us in our time of need. And there comes the fire. 
what it takes to come out pure gold. This whole idea of fire is the situations and circumstances that God sends us through in order to shape us and to make us so that we be more like the image of Jesus Christ. I, I wish I could say that it was all be a bed of roses and that that in the wintertime, the temperature would always be 70. In the summertime, you know, when it's really, really hot, the temperature would be 65. But that's not how the fire works. The fire is a refiner's fire. You can read about that same refiner's fire in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, who gave the last and final prophecies going into the New Testament. Those prophecies shut down and 400 years of silence before John the Baptist came on the scene. But those prophecies were about the new thing that was coming through Jesus Christ. A refiner's fire. Gold has to go through a process first. Before it looks like this, it has to go through a process. When you first see it, you don't even really recognize that it's gold. It has all these impurities in it and it causes it not to shine. And it can even look kind of uh, leadish, if you will, in color. But it's when the refiner takes that gold and puts it in the fire and lets that fire burn away the impurities, the properties that are not part of that pure gold, then it comes out beautiful and now it is worthy to be sold. For us as believers, we got to go through something. We cannot expect everything to be rosy every day. Because that is not what's going to get us to where we need to be in Jesus Christ. We got some impurities, y'all. And it's called sin. We got some stuff that we need chopped and torn and burned out of us. We got some bad attitudes. We got some lying. We got some cheating. We got some all kind of stuff. We got some sexual desires. We got all kind of stuff that need to be burned away. We got some laziness. We got sloth. We got all these things that is not pleasing unto God. We've got lack of faith. We've got a dependence on other things instead of God. We need to be sent through the refiner's fire. But we love these things, y'all. We love them even being baptized believers. We love that stuff. And God has to tear it away. And he has to tear it away by sending us through the fire. I don't like the way it feels, but I'm so thankful that we got it. Because unrighteousness will not be in the presence of a righteous God. But because of his good pleasure, he doesn't just baptize with the Holy Ghost, but with fire as well. Because he's going to make us and mold us and shape us into the image of his son. That we be pleasing unto him and are favorable and sufficient to be in the presence of almighty God. Where there is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how it's going to happen, but we got to go through the fire. When you are dealing with issues that are not comfortable and you want to quit because it's getting too tough and you just want to lay it down because you don't think I should have to work that hard, keep on working. Keep on working for the Lord. Even though folks will talk about you, 
scandalize your name. You, you try to stay and you work for the Lord and then folks talk about you. Then folks argue with you because they don't understand what you're going through to do it. You don't worry about what they say. Worry about the Lord because the Lord ain't missed nothing you were doing. He's seen it all and he will not forget the work that you do for him. Because only what you do for Christ will last. But you stay at the work and don't give up. Just because it gets tough, it's for your good. Because the Bible says all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Just because it gets tough, keep on pressing on. And sometimes you got to sacrifice here or there. Sometimes you might have to sacrifice a good evening to do something for the Lord. I know there's evenings when my wife would like me to be with her or there's evenings I want to be with her and she has to do something for the Lord. But I know that's what's going to last. And I'd rather be by myself and her doing for the Lord than her be with me and we both forfeit that what God had for us. Because life is short, y'all. We're seeing in the last few weeks, I mean, we're seeing folks in their 30s and 40s and 50s, even 60s, they're dying out of here. They're getting out of here. The Lord is calling home. We don't know how long we got. There is a crisis. And we got to get about the business. But the good news is that God is faithful. And he is working on us every day. Allow him to work in us even when it's hard, y'all. Don't quit. Even when it seems like, you know, I can just put this down. Press on. Because these things have lasting value, not just here on earth, but in glory. And eyes have not seen nor ears have heard of the good things that the Lord has in store for those who love him. And we love him by we dedicating ourselves to him. Amen. And so as I come to a close here, this final verse, he says his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Harvest time is coming. Harvest time is coming. You can't hide in the crowd. You can't can't try to cloak yourself and look like the person beside you who is walking for Christ. Because God has a process by which he will find you out. It says the winnowing fan is in his hand. The winnowing fan was a fork that was used right off of the threshing floor where where, where the the farmer would stick it in there and pick up the wheat and throw it up in the air. And as he stuck the winnowing fan in there and throwed it off, chaff would go up into the air. And wheat would fall to the ground. Because chaff is so light that the winds would just blow it away. But the heaviness of the wheat would fall to the threshing floor. And so the text says that God has the winnowing fan in his hand. But see, he ain't like us. See, we get the winnowing for a while and we get tired and say, okay, I think that's good enough. But with God, 99 and a half, what? Won't do. So God will clean it thoroughly. He's going to get all that chaff out. So I don't, it doesn't matter how well you cloak yourself looking like a Christian. That ain't going to work. 
Because when he sticks the winnowing fan in and starts his work, you will be exposed. But there's good news in here as well for the believer who's been plagued by the enemy for so many years. Because the Bible teaches us that while men slept, the enemy came in unawares. But when Jesus starts using his winnowing fan, he's going to start throwing up the wheat and the chaff is going to come out. All those enemies of your life, they're going to be floating because they like because they don't have the spirit in them to bring them down to keep them on solid ground. So they're going to be floating in the air and the winds is going to take them away. And they're going to be piled up and Jesus is going to burn them up in the fire. So you don't worry about what their end is going to be. You keep pressing on for what you got because God has them also in his hand. Keep on running a little while longer. And as he lifts the wheat, the winds will blow the chaff away. And he lifts the wheat. Chaff is blown away. You don't have to worry about it because God's got it in his hand. And I heard that he said all authority is given to him in heaven and in earth. And that in his hand, he has the power to take away the enemy. He has the power to cast them to outer darkness. But he also has the power to take those who trust him into everlasting glory. So you keep on working for the Lord. For only what you do for Christ will last. Have more compassion. Have more love. And get treasures not here on earth that thieves can break in and steal. That moths can destroy. That rust can corrupt. But those eternal true riches that will be forevermore in heaven. Praise his holy name. Ain't that good news children? That one of these old days. And it won't be very long that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. Oh, death, yes, they will. And they that remain shall be caught up in the air and will be at that great coronation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll be there with him forevermore. And it's all because one Friday evening, He allowed them to put nails in his hands. He allowed them to put nails in his feet. I say that he allowed them because nobody took Jesus' life, but he gave it because he loved us. God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But the story doesn't end there. He was buried and in that grave. All night Friday night in that grave. All day Saturday in that grave. All night Saturday night in that grave. But it was early, oh so early, Sunday morning. He got up with all power in his hand. He's here for a 40-day layover, but then he stepped out on a cloud and went back to glory. But the same way he left here is the same way he's coming back. And he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. Praise the name of the Lord. And right now, I open the doors of the church. If there's anyone here today who does not know 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a personal way, has not said to the Lord, forgive me of my sins, O Lord, and come and live in me. Right now you can come and you can get your business fixed with Jesus so that when the winnowing fan comes that you fall to the threshing floor as your enemies are slung into the eternal unquenchable fire. You can get to know him today and there's good news that it won't cost you a thing because Jesus already paid it all. He paid it with his life. So that you didn't have to die. Why don't you come today? Right now is the time to get your life right with the Lord. Because he's able to save that which is lost. He's able to seek you. He's able to find you. And if you hear his voice today crying out for you to come, you can come today. Come to Jesus Come to Jesus just now, just now. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus just now. He